Well, good morning, church family. My name is uh, Jacob Yarbrough, and I'm an elder here at Calvary Bible Church. And uh, for our scripture reading today, we're going to read through in the book of Ruth. We're going to read Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'm using the New American Standard Version 1995 edition. And so I invite you to follow along with me as, as I read from Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughters. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servant draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Well, good morning, friends. If you have your Bible, just stay in Ruth chapter 2. Today, I want to talk to you about being a tool for God's use. Being a tool for God's use. To quickly introduce this to you, we are in our fourth week of a five-week series walking through the book of Ruth. The very first week, we unpacked the story of Ruth. We kind of just did an overall recap of what the book entails, all the... Um, but we, uh, the very first week, we really talked about the story of the book of Ruth. We just unpacked the four chapters. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the story of a woman named Naomi, how her life is the picture of a servant of God. And we saw her life's meaning through her grandson named Obed. And then last week we unpacked a woman named Ruth. Her name means friend or companion. And her life is the picture of a true friend. A true friend what? Hurts with you, helps, hears, and heralds God. Points you to the Lord in the midst of your pain. Today we look at a man named Boaz. And he is, in a sense, the hero of our story. His name means fleetness or to be nimble. And God uses him 
in a mighty way. I mean, the fact, just think about this, the fact that we are talking about a man named Boaz 3,000 years later, halfway around the world, tells you about the magnificence of how God has used this very ordinary man. And what we see in the book of Ruth is that Boaz has three qualities, three different ingredients to be used by God in amazing ways. But the question I have today is, what is in the secret sauce? You know, what are the three ingredients that Boaz has to be used by God? We are, uh, in our culture, we are a curious bunch of people. We are very curious of how things are made. Anybody else relate to that? How many of you have ever thought about what is actually in Coca-Cola? Anybody ever thought about that before? What's in the secret sauce? I think about, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I used to drink Dr. Pepper, okay, and I traded that for Diet Coke. I don't want to know what's in Diet Coke, okay, but for, they have 23 flavors in Dr. Pepper, and I remember just being kind of wrestling with what that is. We wonder how McDonald's makes their fries so good. Uh, maybe I'm just hungry and thirsty at the moment. But the question I have is what's in the secret sauce? What are the qualities that Boaz has to be used by God in amazing, profound ways? And in a ways to literally change the world. Guys, God wants to use you. But the question I have is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God wants to use you in his plan and in his will? God wants you to make a difference for the kingdom of God, for his glory. But what are the ingredients to be used by God in amazing ways? God uses this man named Boaz to change the world. Just a quick snapshot. Think about this. Because of Boaz, Jesus is born in a town called Bethlehem. Fulfilling Micah 5.2. Because of Boaz, a motherless widow named Naomi is redeemed. Because of Boaz, a widow named Ruth is restored. Because of Boaz, the best king of Israel named David is born. And because of Boaz, the son of God is born in Bethlehem and ascends to the throne of all thrones through his line. But the question is, what does Boaz, what qualities does he have to be a useful tool of God? So if you have your Bible, turn to Ruth chapter 2 and we will see quality number 1 in verses 1 through 3, 1 through 4, quality number 2 in 5 through 7, and then we'll see quality number 3 in chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. But one of the things I love about this story in particular is that you could really use all of the chapters to talk about Boaz as a person. But very quickly, if you haven't been here for the entire series of Ruth, let's just quickly recap chapter 1. Boaz comes on the scene in chapter 2, verse 4. So what has happened in chapter 1? Ruth chapter 1 describes what? The, the tragedy of Naomi. If you remember, Naomi is a Jew from the town of Bethlehem. What's her husband's name? It is Elimelech, which means my God is king. Elimelech is also from the town of Bethlehem. Elimelech sees the famine in the land of Israel. And what does he do? He decides to cross the Jordan and go to a new country called Moab with Naomi and her two sons. Her two sons are Malon and Kilion. There in the land of Moab, what happens? Elimelech dies. Ten years later, 
her, his two sons, Naomi's two sons die after they get married to a woman named Orpah and a woman named Ruth. And what does Orpah do? Orpah attempts to walk back, begins the path to walk back to Israel to support her mother-in-law, but she turns her neck. That's what her name means, is neck. She turns her back on Naomi. But what does it say in Ruth chapter 1? It says that Ruth clung to Naomi. She is the picture of a true friend. The word clung is the same word in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 where it says a man shall leave his father and be joined to his wife. The word joined is the same word clung for Ruth. She hung on to her. She committed a lifetime to Naomi. And this is what she says in chapter 1 verse 16. This is Ruth speaking. But Ruth said to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. She is a Moabite, pledging to move back to a different country where she has no support system other than a grumpy woman now named Mara. Okay, that's all she's got. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there will be buried. And this sheep pronounces punishment if she breaks her covenant. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth is a true friend. She hears, she helps, she hurts with Naomi, and she points Naomi back to God. But where we are when we pick up a chapter 2 is right at the tail end of chapter 1. Boaz enters the scene in chapter 2, verse 4, but then just just very quickly, let us paint the context of verse 19 of chapter 1. So they both, Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem, a little town outside of modern-day Jerusalem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred. Why was all the city stirred? Because they remembered Naomi. They, the town was full of her relatives. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And Naomi said to them, do not call me pleasant or delight. Call me bitter. For should I, for the Almighty, the sovereign God of the universe, has dealt very bitterly with me, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Or Naomi says, the Lord has witnessed against me today, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned with Ruth and Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The reason I read all that Is because right at the darkest of hours, God sends Boaz into the life of Ruth and Naomi to be used by him and to be a blessing. Notice the quality that Boaz has to be used by God. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now Naomi, a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth. Notice that piece. A man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. He's related, but not the closest relative, as we saw in chapter 4, whose name is Boaz. means fleetness, or to be nimble, or to be quick to react. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Why? It's because it's barley harvest, right? Ears of grain. After one in which sight I might find favor, and she said to her, go, go, my daughter. Catching up here. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
And she happened to come upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. This is actually, in the original language, it really really talks about happened, almost by chance. But it's really, obviously, not by chance. The portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, notice this reason. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Why did he come from Bethlehem to the field? And said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. Did you catch that? So what did he say to the roots? May the Lord be with you. And he said to them, may the Lord bless you. So here we see Boaz introduced on the scene in verse 4. Why does it say, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem? Why does it say that? It's because people slept inside the city walls and worked outside of the city walls. And I explained this a couple of weeks ago. If you, how many of you have ever been to Europe before? Anybody ever been to Europe? Okay. If you've ever been to Germany, I haven't been to all parts of Europe, but when you go to Germany, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, you will see from a distance a castle on a hill. Anybody ever seen a medieval castle before? It's pretty cool. So you, you have this medieval castle on a hill, and all around the castle you have fields where people would work. That's the picture that I have of verse 4. Now, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He came outside the walls into the fields of the barley harvest. And then notice, and he said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And then notice what they say back. And they said, may the Lord bless you. Boaz gets up in the morning. We don't know what time of day it is, but he's probably half asleep. He walks out of the walls to the fields of his employees, essentially. And what is the first thing he says? May the Lord be with you. And notice what word is Lord. It is what? All caps, Lord, which means Yahweh. Now, I don't know if many of you walk into work and say, may the Lord be with you. What do you normally say, right? Good morning or buenos dias, okay? We... But the first thing out of his mouth reveals who he is as a man, that he is a man of righteousness. Quality number one to be used by God is, a God, is a, one of godly character. He says to his employees, may the Lord be with you. And notice he uses the all caps Lord. He doesn't use the generic name of God, which would be Elohim or El. But he uses what? The most important name of the Lord, I am who I am, which claims what? So we see, number one, that he says, may the Lord be with you. But number two, what, what does that show? It shows that he knows God. If Boaz was just saying this and politely, he might have used Elohim or, hey, how are you doing today? Or Buenos Dias, whatever. But that shows that Boaz knows the one true God And his address of may the Lord be with you tells me what? It tells me of his internal character, his internal godliness. You know, um, there's a lot of things I love about this story. The reason I wanted to talk about this story before Christmas is because it it, it explains why Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but it's also a story of redemption. But one of the things I love about this book is that you see the raw nature of the characters. You see Naomi. She turns her name from pleasant to bitter. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been bitter towards the, the Lord? Amen? If you haven't, you haven't lived that long. Because it's just the nature of life. And then we see this man named Boaz talk about may the Lord be with you. What we see in the characters is that they display faith. They walk by faith and not by sight. That their faith is not just circumstantial. But that they know God. 
Naomi calls God Shaddai, calls him Yahweh, and here we see this righteous man call God by his rightful name. Quality number one to be used by God is to be of godly character. But is that true? Do you need to be of godly character to be used by God? I mean, think about all the stories in the Bible that God can use you even in lieu of your own ungodliness. I mean, think about Jonah. Jonah uses this knucklehead named Dove because he runs away across the Mediterranean Sea, swallows him in a fish, and spits him out in a little town, big town named Nineveh, to bring these people to repentance. He uses a king called Nebuchadnezzar as a pawn for his will. And if God can use a donkey to, to convince Balaam to turn around and to change his mind, then God can use all of us. But I'm going to say it again. To be used by God, it is helpful to be of godly character. Think about the scripture. Who did God use the mightiest? When you think of the Old Testament, what characters come to mind? You think about Joseph, you think about Moses, who else do you think about? You think about Elijah, you think about David, a man after God's own heart. That God uses those who love him. In the most mighty of ways. God can use all of us. If God can use Nebuchadnezzar, he can use any of us. But God uses those who truly love him and know him personally. Um, We often worry more about our external appearance than our internal godliness. We often worry about what other people think about us than we worry about what God thinks of us. If we know God well, if we love him, if we walk with him, could I get up in the morning and the first thing I say to my wife or my kids is, may the Lord be with you, okay? I mean, I'm probably like, what are you doing up right now? It's literally probably what I'm saying every single morning. Anybody else with young kids in the room? Okay. But we see here Boaz's inner character. And God uses this man of great character in exceedingly mighty ways. Because Boaz knows God. He walks with him. He calls him Yahweh. But if, if you aren't there yet, you know, if you wouldn't get up in the morning and say to your children, may God be with you, okay? If you're not there, you'd probably never be there. I probably never will. But... I'm just grumpy in the morning, maybe. But if, but if you don't have a right relationship with the Lord, if you're not there yet, that's okay. God can still use you. And, you know, if God can use a murderer turned shepherd in Midian to lead his people out of the nation of Israel or a nation of Egypt across the Red Sea, God can use any one of us. If God can use a knucklehead fisherman to bring 3,000 people to Christ on the day of Pentecost, any God can use any one of us. But the greatest tools of God are those forged in fires and those that know him well. So Boaz is a man of righteousness to be used of God. You must be, be of godly character. But then notice the second quality of Boaz in verse 5 of chapter 2. Then Boaz said to his servants, 
who was in charge of the reapers. Who, whose young man, excuse me, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Notice that's all he says about Ruth. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Sorry, I should be turning this. Quality number two to be used by God is you must see needs. You must see the needs of people around you. Boaz's name means fleetness or to be nimble. In chapter 3, what does Boaz see? Boaz sees the need that Ruth has to be redeemed. In chapter 4, he sees the need to confront the closest relative outside or at the city gates of Bethlehem. And here, Boaz sees the need to allow Ruth to glean in the fields. Agree or disagree? That a large part of being used by God is just seeing the needs around you. One of the things I realize about myself is that I kind of walk around like this all day long. Anybody else walk around like this? You're just kind of looking down at your phone. Anybody else? Okay, <laughs> so we won't talk about the, the, the warped culture that we live in with phones, okay? But literally, we walk around life like this, and we're completely blind to the needs of people around us. We are so consumed. Let's just be honest here for just a second, guys, okay? We are so consumed with busyness with the distraction of text messages and emails and television shows and YouTube. Anybody else relate to that one? Okay, we're so distracted that we walk around life just like this and we fail to see the needs of people around us. What does Boaz see? The first thing he says is, may the Lord be with you. And then in verse 5, what does he say? Who is this person? Right, which tells you that he knows his people because he knows the reapers. He says the young maids, so his reapers, he has women working in the fields, and he notices this new person. He notices people. He sees the need of Ruth. He doesn't just walk around with blinders on through life. We walk around as if all the only needs in life are our own. There are needs of people all around us and we fail to see it but also we should see the needs of people but number two we should see where god is working um do not let the tyranny of the urgent blind you to what is most important in life Do not let the tyranny of the urgent blind you, blind you to what is most important in life. You know, one day I'll wake up and I'll be 50. And I wonder where all that time went. And then I'll look back in my life and say, did I really just see where God was working around me? Was I part of his story? Was I part of his plan? Or was I so consumed by my phone or by whatever that I wasn't used by God in mightiest of ways. We must see the needs around us. We must see where God is working. Let me just ask you the question. Who is somebody in your life that God is working on in mighty ways? I would imagine, 
that there is somebody in your life, like the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, that just is, is starving for somebody to come alongside you, side them, and explain the scripture, explain the gospel, explain Jesus Christ. And if we are so busy that we can't even notice the people around us and the needs that they have, we will just cruise on by all of these people in our life that the Spirit of God is working in for the sake of busyness. Who are the people in our lives that just need somebody to come alongside them and just to explain the truth of Scripture? Who is somebody in our life that all they need is somebody just to meet their needs and to care for them and their physical, physical needs and physical desires? Boaz is a godly and righteous man. His internal world is one that loves the Lord. That is why God uses him to literally change the world. Number two, Boaz sees very quickly this woman named Ruth. But, you know, is that enough? I mean, think about it. Is it enough just to be godly? Is it enough just to see the needs around us and where God is working? Is that enough to really be used by God? What, mu- what else must we do? I mean, think about the Father, God the Father. What if He who is holy, obviously, and righteous, what if he only saw our depravity and didn't send his son to be the satisfaction for our sin? We'd be all what? Hopeless, right? Separated from God in eternity? What else must we do to be used by God? Chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Notice the third quality that Boaz has. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not glean in another field. So how is Boaz providing for Ruth? He sees the need. He sees Ruth gleaning in his field. He sees her. How is he providing for her? Do not go on gleaning in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Notice that phrase. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap. Why? It's so she could gather barley for Naomi. It's that time of year. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Who is she? She's a Moabite living in the land of Israel. It's probably socially faux pas. Is that even a word? Then fell, she fell on her face to the ground and said... Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. I find this very interesting. Because why? Boaz, who is a man of great character, what? Notices her character. May the Lord reward your work. Now notice this phrase. And your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. What is he doing by verse 12? If you think about this passage, quality number three is this. To be used by God, you must meet the needs around you. You must see where God is working, see the needs around you, and then meet those needs. Take care of them. 
in a very practical way. We see that in James chapter 2, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, and I can go on and on and on. But on a practical level, how does Boaz provide for, Bo, for Ruth's needs? Well, number one, what does he do? He provides her permission, if you have your notes, permission to glean in his fields. Verse 8 again, the second need he provides for, he provides for her security. What does he say to her? He says two things. I instructed my workers not to touch you, and I want you to stick close to my maids. Why? How many of you like to go on a walk late at night? Okay, okay, a couple people, okay. Okay, why don't you do that? It's because it makes you vulnerable, right? Somebody could find you. That's what he's doing here. In this culture, in this time period, if you had a, especially a Moabite, off by herself, gleaning in a field, what is she susceptible to? To be preyed upon by unscrupulous men. That's what Boaz is saying. He's providing her security. Stick close to my maids. I instructed my servants not to touch you. Number three, he provides for her physical needs. Verse nine, he provides her water. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. What does he say? When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. He meets her practical needs in verses eight through 11. But I want you to notice something. What does he do in verse 12? He points Ruth to the greatest need of all. May the Lord reward your work and your wages and be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Boaz realizes that it's just not enough to provide her water and somewhere to glean and to provide her bread later in the story. But here in verse 12, he points her to God. Can I just speak for just a second? Friends, you can meet all of the needs of the poor and do them no eternal good. Let me say that again. You can meet the needs of the poor and do them no lasting good. We should care for widows and orphans in their distress. We should provide for the needs of other people. We should clothe the needy. We should feed them. We should do those things. But if we aren't pointing them to Jesus, I mean, okay, I mean, are the poor and needy really going to care if you filled their bellies, if they're burning in hell for eternity, okay? I mean, they're going to be like saying, okay, thank you for feeding my belly, but why did you tell me about Jesus? Am I tracking with me on this? What does Boaz do here? He points Ruth to the one source of her spiritual need, that only God can truly provide her refuge and protection and satisfaction, that only God can give to her rivers of living water. Friends, uh, when you provide for the needs of the poor, when you provide for the needs of people in your family, you should do that, but also accompany those physical needs with the greatest need of all. To point them to have a relationship with God. In all of our relationships, we should point people to God. 
it is possible to help people without truly helping them. I'm going to get, I'm going to put a thought in your mind, and this is a little bit off notes, and I'm just kind of going by the, uh, the cuff here. Um, I want you to think about something. On January 1st, I'm going to talk to you about this more in depth. But I want you to think about somebody in your life that needs Jesus. Somebody in your life that needs Jesus. Maybe it's somebody that you provided their physical needs for. Maybe it's somebody that you've cared for for a long time. Specifically, what I want you to do, and what I'm thinking about doing, this even myself, is go to dinner or lunch with a non-believer once a month. That's all I'm asking for. Once a month. Just to present the gospel and to build a relationship with them. Because, listen, are we really doing people good if all we do is feed their bellies? We have to point people to the source of living water, to the bread of life. But then, I'm out of verses, so you're probably wondering what I'm going to do for the next 20 minutes. Um, I want you to take a step back and think about something really quick. What is the sermon? What is my sermon title? Is being a tool in God's hands or being a tool for God's use? There is uh, something about having the right tool for the right problem. Anybody else relate to that in this room? There's something about having the right tool for the right problem. For the first, I've been married for almost 15 years. That is crazy to me. Okay. Uh, time flies. That's nuts. Um, but for the first 10 years of my marriage, you know what I didn't have as a tool? A cordless battery-powered driver, right? Okay. And if you're about to get married, there are a few in this room that are about to get married. The first thing you need to do is go to Lowe's and buy one of those cordless drills, okay? Trust me, it'll save you so much grief and so many arguments. Because I remember for the first 10 years of my marriage, I would try to hang curtains with a manual screwdriver. Anybody else done that before? It's awful, okay? There's something about having the right tool for the right problem. Boaz is the perfect tool to be used by God in this book. God has arranged the details of Boaz's life for this exact moment. Why do I say that? What did God appoint Boaz to do? To be the kinsman redeemer to Naomi and to Mary Ruth. What, what is entailed with that? That basically Boaz would buy the land of Malon and Kilion in order to give it to Naomi's adopted grandson. Okay, so where am I going with it? What does that require? It requires money. What does it say in chapter 2? That there was a wealthy man of the family of Elimelech, and his name was what? Boaz. And you think about the story in chapter 4. Why did the closest relative not take up the offer? It's because he wanted to preserve the inheritance to his children. So you see, Boaz, he had to be a wealthy man in order to fully redeem this story. What else did God appoint Boaz to do? To point Ruth to God. 
Remember, Ruth abandons her gods. She comes to the land of Israel to adopt Yahweh as her God. And she has this man turned husband of hers to point her to understand what it means to walk with the Lord. What else does he do? Think about who is the descendant of Boaz. Okay. You have Boaz, and then you have Obed. And then who's Obed's son? It is Jesse, and who is the son of Jesse? It is David. What do you know about David? He is the man after what? God's own heart. Boaz's internal godly character carries three more generations to shape his great-grandson into becoming the king of all of Israel, to be a righteous man. Any other person on planet Earth probably couldn't have fulfilled this story to the actual degree he does. That God has used all of the events of Boaz's life to bring him to this one purpose. Boaz is the perfect tool for God's use. God is forging you. God has a purpose for your life. And God is using your experiences, your spiritual gift, your pain, your trials to bring him glory and to meet the needs of other people, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The question I have is not if God wants to use you, it's that he wants to use you, but will you let him use you to the fullest extent? Will you just step back from your life and see how God has placed different trials, different situations, different your children, your job, your spiritual gift, all of these things that God has placed in your life. And he is forging you and he is shaping you to be used by him in amazing ways. The question I have is, will you see the needs and will you meet the needs and will you follow him to the fullest? All things work together for the good to those who love God, to those called according to his purpose. Based on the story in Ruth, my question for everybody in the audience is this. What is God preparing you for? How does God want to use you and your story? What is he doing with your story to make a difference in his kingdom? It doesn't matter if you're young or old. You can be used by God in amazing ways. God prepared Boaz for this exact moment in time. And just think about the level of impact this man has. I mean, the fact that we spend a whole sermon today, 45 minutes, and probably closer to 40 minutes, but moving on. So he, we spent a whole sermon today about this one man named Boaz. And people that are living 3,000 years later, halfway around the world, are talking about his life. I mean, talk about an insane, mighty Use of the Lord. Little did he know, but God would use his story to redeem Ruth, to redeem Naomi, to bring forth a godly son named Obed, to then bring in the godly king David. Boaz's life fits perfectly with God's purpose. I'm going to say this again. God wants to use you. If God can use a donkey for his will then God can use any one of us. God wants you to make a difference for his kingdom, but we must 
B, meet, and C. You know, the question I have is, where does God want to use you? Are there people in your life that do not know Jesus and that you need to point them to him? Are there people in your life that just need somebody to show them affection and love? Are there people in your life that you need to meet their physical needs? How is God asking you to be used? But I have a second thing I want to talk to you about today. And this is, I'm closing with this. Um, There are people in this room that have served the Lord faithfully. For a very long time, okay? Many of you have served the Lord longer than I've been alive, okay? And some of you have served here at Calvary Bible Church longer than I've been alive. To those that God is using, I want to share with you a verse. Um, When you think about the life of a Christian, what is it, okay? If you really want to serve God, what is it's ups and downs, it's valleys, right? And it's a level of exhaustion, okay? Anybody else relate to that? That if you truly serve God, you become tired over time. Anybody else relate to that? You just become weary. And I was complaining uh, to one of my friends here at Calvary Bible Church, and I was just complaining about probably being tired and weary. And he said, he quoted me Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God wants to use you. If you're not being used of the Lord, I would encourage you to go to him and ask if there are people in your life that you need to share the gospel with, if there are needs around you, and if God is using you. I would encourage you to stay encouraged. Be part of the fellowship of the body of Christ and be stimulated one, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The question I have is, will we be used of the Lord? What has he prepared us for? Before I close, I would like to just close with just sharing the gospel really quick. We uh, met this morning as elders. We pray every Sunday morning right here at Capitol Bible Church at 845. And uh, we've been doing that for a while now. And two of the elders prayed that people here today that their eyes will be open to the truth of the gospel. I say this quite often is, I am terrified to get to heaven. That sounds weird. But I am terrified to get to heaven and see people that came to my church for years and years and years. They're going to come to the pearly gates, and the Lord's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. There's a difference, friends, between knowing the truth and believing the truth. If you've never been born again, if the gospel has never changed your life, the way I see the scripture, the way I tell in the gospel accounts that somebody came to be a believer and follower of Christ is the change in their life. If you are the same as you ever have been, if you have never been born again, if you have never been transformed and changed, then let me just... Speak it to you bluntly. You're probably not a Christian. You might be able to fill in the blank. You become a Christian by what? By believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might be able to fill in that blank, but you might not have Jesus in you. Before I close, 
those who are Christians, look at their lives. See where God is working. See where God wants you to, to be used. And if you are not a believer, if you question your salvation, I would encourage you to go before the Lord, confess your sins, or repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have any questions about that, feel free to see me after this service. But pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you just for this church. Um, I just thank you for the faithfulness of the people. Um, I just thank you that we're family. And I just thank you just for all the ways that you've blessed this church for 50, 60 years. And Lord, I just uh, I thank you for your word and how it shapes our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be effective for your kingdom, effective for your glory. That we would desire to be used like Boaz was. And Lord, that if we do not know you as Savior and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that you would lift the eyes of the blind. That you would lift the blinders and you would allow them to see the truth. Lord, thank you for Calvary. I thank you for what you're doing here. I just thank you for the generosity and the love of the people. And be with us as we go. May we be lights to the world. And lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.